Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Awesome. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Oh, yeah. Come on. You know we love to do this. Why don't you look at the person sitting next to you really quick. Tell them, Sam, I'm so glad you made it to church. You made it. Yeah, normally I tell you to say something to the other person sitting next to you, and I direct you in what to say, but I want you to look at the other person that you didn't want to talk to, obviously, and I want you just to compliment them on the count of three. One, two, three. Just say something nice. Just tell them, say, you look great today. It's fantastic to see you. Amazing. Awesome. Well, um, I, I wanted to say this really quick to you guys that, uh, you, you know, last weekend, Jennifer and I and our, our kids, we weren't able to be here with you. We were actually in Orlando, Florida, uh, teaching at a, at a church uh, there. The senior pastors are some of our overseers for our church, Josh and Becca Turner. And uh, it was awesome to get to be with them. It was great because Elton was actually, our worship pastor was actually in Orlando as well. So they asked him uh, to lead worship while I, uh, while I taught. And so he led worship. And afterwards, I heard people in the church like, oh, my gosh, who's that new worship leader here? We're so grateful to have somebody here like that. And I'm like, oh, you better not. Don't you even try. I will stab somebody in Jesus' name, okay? <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we had a good time Sunday. And then, um, you know, Jennifer, I almost said Jennifer and I are pregnant. Let's be honest. She's pregnant. I'm not. Um, but we kind of did a little baby moon with our family. And, uh, and we spent the weekend or like three days in Disney World. We've never done that before. Um, but it was really awesome. So we had a really great week as a family. But I got to tell you, we missed you. And uh, it's so good to be home. Thank you, Teresa. She said, we missed you. But we, we really did. We missed you guys. And it's so good to get to be here. I love our church. I love worshiping with you. And Jennifer and I do consider it a great honor uh, to get to serve as the lead pastors here. And I want to give a shout out to my Dan Terry. My man Dan preached last weekend. Dan, you did a great job. Um, amazing. I'm excited that Dan's going to be, I'm sure he probably talked about this a little bit. He's going to be moving here uh, later on this year, hopefully. Uh, going to really be focusing on missions towards uh, college campuses, universities. And uh, we're really excited to get to partner with you, man. So excited that you're going to be here with us. Uh, get to have add another person to the family. You're already family. You're not like the crazy uncle. You're like the, the kind of good looking, you know, cousin or something like that. But, you know, whatever. But he's single, ladies, by the way. He is single. And so, ladies, if you're scoping and hoping, we are in a relationship goals uh, series, our collection right here. So we love you, Dan, so much. Um, today, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. But, hey, we're going to have a good time today. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about marriage, you know, leaning into uh, to, to Valentine's Day. I almost said Father's Day. Valentine's Day coming up. Uh, you know, it's going to be great. Hopefully you have plans already for Valentine's Day. Fellas, if you're here today, uh, this is your, you need to, this is like kind of your cue. Start setting up a date for you and your your rib, your better half, and, uh, <clears throat> and it's going to be a good time. But today we're going to talk about marriage for a little bit, and not just marriage, uh, also a little bit of pre-marriage kind of dating. Uh, and today is going to be less of a sermon and more of a conversation. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about what I believe God's going to speak to us today. Um, but again, it's, it's not necessarily a sermon. Normally we, we teach a sermon. I'll teach a sermon. Or like last weekend, is we're teaching a sermon. But sometimes, every once in a while, we like to have a conversation and share from God's word, but also share our collective experiences. And so today, as we talk about uh, marriage and pre-marriage and some of those things, I thought it was so fitting uh, to have my better half uh, come and be a part of this conversation because she always says that, like, you know, I, I can't wait for the day I get to tell my side of that story because, uh, because I'll tell stories about how we met or different things. And she's like, he is exaggerating. You know, that's an evangelistic exaggeration. Uh, I'm going to tell my truth. So uh, I want you to do this. Why don't you clap your hands? Matter of fact, I'm going to, I don't normally do this, but I want you to do this. If you can, if you're able to do this, would you stand up for a moment? Clap your hands and show your love for Jennifer, my wife. Come on. You can do better than that. Woo, girl, you're looking good. You can, you want to sit, what's, what's your better side? Both sides are great. You know what I'm saying? nervous about these um, stools. I just don't want to fall over. Uh, by the way, we are, as I said, we are, how many weeks pregnant are we? 27. 27 weeks. Yeah. Girl, you look good. 27 weeks. Hey. So if I can't breathe throughout this, you'll, you'll understand. Oh, that's okay. So why don't you grab a little seat there? So I have, I have a, oh dear Jesus, Lord, <laughs> have mercy. It's better you fall to me. <clears throat> I have a, I have a, uh, 
I have a, do we have insurance? Okay. Uh, <laughs> on the church and me. Uh, anyway, so um, I have a series of questions that some people uh, messaged in, and I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to fire away some of those questions in just a moment. But can I read you this scripture really quick? I want to read you this. I was thinking about this. I think they're going to put it up on the screen there. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. This is the apostle Paul. He's talking about uh, one of the churches that he helped plant and pastor, people that he really cared about very dearly. And he says this, he says, because we loved you so much. He's talking about him and some of the other church planters and pastors and spiritual leaders that were on his team. He said, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And I love that. It's always been one of my favorite ministry scriptures because I think a lot of times in ministry, pastors and spiritual leaders can really love crowds but not love people. <clears throat> and and I, I've, I've been in that, that trap before where I've loved the idea of ministry and like crowds of people or whatever, but not really known people's names. I've known numbers. Pastors like to count numbers, but I think shepherds know the names of people and know people's stories. I think about people like Claudia. I love you so much, Claudia. I'm so proud of you for being here. Uh, we've been praying and believing for complete healing for you. And uh, we love you so much. And uh, we're going to stand with you. We're going to believe that God's going to do an incredible miracle. And he's going to use this as a, as a testimony uh, in people's lives. We love you so much. But, you know, I, that's our heart. Jennifer and I, we, we're not trying to build a big church. We're trying to build a big family. And in a, in a healthy family, you know people and you know each other's names. And my admonishment to you is that, that this would not just be a crowd of familiar strangers, but that you'd know the people in this room. That's why I'm so excited. Eighty people signed up last week to be a part of small groups. That's a great spot for you to clap your hands. And uh, 80 people, that's great. And uh, I want to encourage you. It's just a 13-week season. Be committed to that group of people and uh, celebrate with them, laugh with them, cry with them, go on a journey together. Because I believe that Sundays are so important that we do this. But what's way more important than a Sunday service or an event is, is being in family together, contributing members of a family. Do you know that what's inside of you, the other person, that are in your community. They need. They need what's in you, and you need what's in them, and together God's going to use you to sharpen one another. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens the other, and I believe that God's going to do that with our family. So anyway, today we're going to share from God's Word, but we're also going to share a little bit of our experience and our story, and so if there's some questions in here that we answer and we respond uh, if, it's, if it's clear in Scripture, black and white, then we'll just share the Scripture and, and we'll take that as absolute truth because we believe in the, the, in, in the inerrant and infallible Word of God, that God's Word is our standard. His Word is the truth, the absolute truth that we align our lives with. We don't bend His Word to fit our lives. We bend our lives to fit His Word. And so, so there'll be some of those things we'll share Scripture. But, there, you know, there's a lot of topics that we like to talk about uh, in life that sometimes there's not necessarily a, an exact Scripture for that. And so we'll share uh, scriptures that maybe are principles that could relate, but also our experience. And uh, we sit up here as students, not experts. Make no mistake about it. No one that will ever be on this platform will be an expert. Uh, we're all students. We're just trying to do our best to become more like Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen. And so we're going we're gonna to share a little bit. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I, I may come back to this. Um, but if you have your Bibles or something to take notes on, I want you to write down Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. Uh, when you get a chance, look it up in the message translation. Um, no, can I, I'm going to read that. Do we have enough time? I'm going to read that really quick. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to expound on it, but just I want to read it. Out of respect for Christ, Paul says this, be courteously reverent to one another. Uh, another translation says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because Jesus is at the center of your life, out of respect and honor for him, submit to one another. Interesting, most pastors and preachers usually say, wives, submit to your husband. But Paul says, let's learn how to submit to each other. It goes on, and then it fills in the next spot where we get wives, submit to your husbands, is this. And we'll talk about that in a little while. He says, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Uh, the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. It says, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should, uh, should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. Notice most people like to talk about how wives should submit to the church, but the, the, the actual great call to commitment is the next verse where it says, husbands, you need to sacrifice for your wives the way that Christ did for his church, which was what? Dying laying down his life. And so the standard goes even higher. And he goes on, he says this, he says, um, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. 
His words evoke her beauty. I love that. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk. Just got you that silk pillow. You like that, don't you? Yeah. Just, just taking my directives from Scripture. Just doing what the Bible says. Uh, radiant and holiness. Um, girl, you radiant. Uh, and uh, that is how husbands ought to uh, love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they are, are already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife uh, no longer to they have become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. Marriage is a mystery. Can I say, can you say amen to married people in the house? And I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me, though, is um, the way Christ treats the church. Uh, and, and look at this. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. There's a lot of things in that passage of Scripture, but I just want you to know, I think this is the model for marriage. The most, I think it's the most precise and, uh, and, and, and comprehensive uh, model that we see for marriage. And while we're not going to unpack every single one of these things, this is where we gather a lot of the things uh, for, for the conversation we're going to have today. So I'm going to start off with a couple questions and, uh, for you. And uh, some of these she knows, some of these she may not know. You didn't know I was going to do that, but, um, you know. Uh, so this one's for you, Jennifer. Um, oh, this, is a, this one would be fun. I've told kind of my part of the story about how we met. Uh, you know, and how I tripped you in the hall and you, you know, braces busted your lips and I ran and left you there laying there as you fell in love with me. Um, what's your side? Do you have a side that you want to share with that? Well, um, most of what you say is true, but there is, um, we didn't actually start dating in junior high. We, he started flirting with me in junior high, but he had a girlfriend. Um... <laughs> Who, I still don't know if she likes me today, but... That girl was crazy. Huh? Crazy. She still doesn't like me. But the... Um, and so, when I got... He would always say, when you get to high school. Well, when I got to high school, he was still dating her. Um, and he would... Um, like, I remember I played volleyball, he played football, so we had to walk, we walked over to the gym together, and he would start singing me this Usher song... And it was like, you make me want to leave the one I'm with, start a new relationship with you. This is what you do. And, and I was just like, Why are you what? not telling me like that? I was like, what, you, what are you singing? He's like, oh, it's just a song that was on the radio today. And I was like, he likes me. Yo, that's like circa 95, right? Isn't that like 95? I don't yeah. know. It's good. And so um, it was, so that's sort of, it was just a lot of flirting back and forth. Um, and then homecoming came around, and it was the week of homecoming, and that's the week he decides to break up with his girlfriend. So he calls me and says, come with me to homecoming. I'm no longer with this girl, and I want to go to homecoming with you. And I said, sorry, but I already have a date. And so he went to homecoming by himself and took pictures like confidence, this. confidence, people, confidence. And I, we, I was trying to find that picture, but he has, like, pictures. His homecoming picture is just him. I just held my arm so out his like arm this, my girl. an air right person. Um, and then from then, we started dating after that, on and off. And we're still dating to this day. Hey, girl. Uh, so let me ask you. So, so one of the questions that we had, so by the way, we had some people that we said, hey, if you could ask any questions around dating or, or, or being engaged or choosing the one, being the one, whatever, or marriage, send us in your questions. So we had quite a few questions that came in. Um, if you have any questions that are like that you'd like for us to talk about, maybe we can get to it in this collection of talks or maybe on our podcast. I think maybe you could just send it to info at Sozo or no, there's something up here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, just send it. You can text in your question uh, to that right there. We'd love to answer those. We may not be able to get to everything in this, but uh, at some point we'll try to either get to it or we can just respond directly to you. So uh, here's one of the first questions that came in. Uh, it, was, it was about the whole, the one, like choosing the one. Is there really only one person out there meant for me? Uh, and I, I would add to that, like, how did you know that I was the one? Oh, I just knew right off the bat. No, um, we actually have talked about this. And um, I think at first he may have been like, you didn't know like I was, I was the w one thing didn't stand out to you. And I think for me, um, and I don't think scripture actually tells us like there's one person out there for us. Um, I think we have to 
engage in relationships that are healthy. You're both seeking after God. But for us, um, I would say that it was over time I discovered that. And I think we became friends and we were best friends. And um, I never questioned, like I actually pulled out because I was like, how did I? He was like, you never questioned, like even when I, we got married or I proposed to you, like, is this the right guy? Am I going to be spending the rest of my life? And I was like, actually, no. And and I think I was just because we were such good friends and there was a track record of respect and there was a track record of us trusting one another and there was things that we had walked through that um, I knew if we had walked through those things, we could walk through the rest of our life together. There were um, moments where, and really throughout the last five to six years of us dating, we um, he pursued God more than he pursued me, and that was the biggest thing. And I'm like, if he can, if he's doing this continuously, he's going to do this in our marriage, and and he's going to be the best husband I could ever have. Um, and so I, that was sort of our journey. And I think some people maybe just know, like he's the one or she's the one. Um, but I think you shouldn't limit yourself. I think sometimes we limit ourselves and we get so focused on the one when you just have to discover one another and build that relationship in a godly way. And I think God will honor that. Every relationship, whether he's the one, he's, it all takes work. And um, we're, still, we're still working out our relationship every day. And I think, um, I think we shouldn't be so focused on the one. I think there's just characteristics that we should seek in discovering who the one is. Yeah, I love something that Jennifer said last night was when we were talking about this, she, you made a great little statement. You said, um, you, you said um, I stopped focusing on um, finding the one and I focused on becoming the one. And she said that she goes, I wasn't trying to figure out who was going to be the best person for me. She said she started looking in scriptures and reading books that taught her how to be the best woman of God that she could be, the best wife that she could be, the best mother she could be, and focused on becoming the one rather than finding the one. Um, for, for me, oh, you had some. I was just going to say, um, so many of us in this room could probably raise our hands to say, how do we have a list of what we want? Which lists are fine, but how about becoming writing a list of who you want to be? And, um, and so that's what I did. And I actually found, I didn't even remember I did this until I was looking through the journals to, to discover where our relationship began. But, um, and it just said, like, God, I'm about to, I want to be a godly wife. And I didn't have resources. I just went to the Bible, and I just was like, I'm going to find every wife in Scripture and see what I can learn, whether through her mistakes or through the principles, especially Proverbs 31. I mean, I know it's just overly talked about, but I just gathered so much um, principles and characteristics that I wanted to be. And so then I just started praying over those things before I ever even was proposed to. That's amazing. One of the things that I, I did, so um, when we talked about this, it was kind of funny because I gave her a hard time at first. Like, you mean there wasn't like you had this awesome list and I fit perfectly? She was like, no, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, so did you just settle for me? Anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, but what I did, I stressed out about finding the one. I truly did. Like, I was so stressed out, partly because I grew up in a church culture where because I was pursuing a call of ministry, there was so much pressure put on, you better not screw this up. You marry the wrong person, you're going to ruin your calling. Um, there may be some truth to that. Like, I've definitely seen people that are, are supposed to do a certain thing in their life. They're out of alignment with the person they marry, and then it just derails their whole thing. But I think I put way too much pressure on that. And then, watch this, and then I begin to try to find out um, I, I begin to think, I want to find the right one because I don't want to mess up my calling, which is self-centered by nature if you think about it. Um, and, and so really what I begin to do is I begin to go to God's word, and I did. I made a list based on the scripture that I read that says, you know, the, the scripture says, without vision, people cast off restraint. I think that's true of everything. It's a principle. When you have no vision, you'll just do anything that you want. When you have no vision for your finances, you'll cast off restraint, you'll spend money on anything. When you have no vision for who you're going to marry, you'll marry anyone. When you have no vision for how you'll raise your kids, you'll raise your kids anyway. And so for me, I said, God, give me your vision for what this woman's supposed to be. And I literally did, I wrote down a long list. And here's the principle, the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. If you get a clear vision for something, then it really, it begins to eliminate a lot of options. There were a lot of girls that were out there, okay? And and so, 
But he kept coming back to But me. I kept going back to her. <laughs> the options got a lot fewer based on the vision that God gave me for who I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And I would encourage every one of you, if you're not married yet, you need to get a vision for who you, the type of person you want to be and get a vision for the type of person you want to spend the rest of your life with. And even if you're in a marriage right now, you need to, if you've never done this before, you need to get a vision for what type of married couple you want to be. Uh, it's never too late. Like even if your marriage is a wreck right now, you can get a vision for what God wants for your marriage uh, to bring you to that next place. So here, here's another one for you right here, Jen. Um, uh, what are your thoughts about a non-married couple uh, sleeping together or living together before they are married as long as it's a monogamous, uh, I, and then it says this, I ask because, uh, I'm asking for a friend, right? Uh, I ask because I've heard, I ask because I've heard of many people marrying someone they are not sexually compatible with. Uh, couldn't that be avoided by exploring the sexual experience beforehand? I'm going to let you tackle that one. Hey, go ahead, girl. It's like you wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on first. You know, it's like, what? Well, I think first we just have to talk about how much our culture has devalued um, and maybe even normalized intimacy. Um, and I think through media, everything, we're just bombarded where it's just normal. It's just normal. And I even think it's funny how even when we teach our teenagers and stuff about purity and being whole, but then once you turn 30, all of that changes and it can be okay. And it's like, wait, what changed, you know? <laughs> and um, the scripture is very clear on this. The scripture um, that I always think of is 1 Corinthians 6, and it talks about that our body is actually the temple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we are his temple, um, and it says to keep our bodies holy in that scripture, and, and when I think about that, you're tarnishing your temple when you just go in and out of bedrooms or crossing boundaries that maybe you shouldn't cross. When we start to value and really discover the intimacy that God has revealed to us in Scripture, that he created man and woman to multiply and, and fill the earth, and that it is a, a, an image of Christ in the church, that, that marriage is, and that intimacy. And I think we have to bring value back into that. And um, so... Anything you test drive um, now, I would say, you're testing out, is going to come with you. Um, and so I think you need to recognize that. And I, we sometimes think, oh, well, it's just a one-night thing, or it's just, I'm going to marry this person, so why not be that? I think you, you, you will miss what God has in that beautiful, intimate moment that um, he wants you to have. And when we start playing around with it too soon, I think it just becomes devalued. Um, and so I would just encourage you, it's, it's important. And I just will be vulnerable for a second um, and share some of our story, is that Jason and I weren't, weren't always pure. Um, we were not living for God um, when we started dating. And we were in and out of what we did and what we didn't do and that kind of stuff. And so you may have said, well, I'm already here. Why, you know, am I, I've already messed up. Well, I can tell you, we made a commitment uh, five and a half to six years before we got married. We both started making a, made a commitment to Christ. And we started not living for one another, but living for him. And we were able to stay pure for six years before we were married. And so it's possible. Is it easy? No, but it's possible. And God redeemed it. And um you know, God redeemed, I mean, our honeymoon and everything. It was just, just like, it was just beautiful. And so I just want to say that it is possible. That's so good. Girl, that was great. I love that. Can I, can I just read two scriptures to go with that? Um, I, I love this. First uh, Thessalonians 5 says, keep away from everything that even looks like sin. Um, I, when, as it relates to like the whole idea of like living with someone before you get married, like I get it. Our rent prices are so high. I, I understand. It's like, it just makes so much sense. I get it. But the thing is this, is that wrong places are a setup to mess up. And if you look at David, the, the Bible says that David, um, when he, remember when he, when he messed up with Bathsheba, it says that it was a time of year when Kings went to war. What was David a King? But David stayed behind. So it wasn't a sin for him to stay behind, but it just was a bad, it was just a bad setup. Because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, 
at war and he was on his rooftop lounging, he looks down, he sees this woman bathing and he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to hook up with this girl. And, and the whole idea is that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, period. And because he put himself in a vulnerable situation, it just was a matter of time. Like we don't know how many days he was watching her. I would imagine he probably saw her numerous times. You bathe daily, don't you? At least you should. I imagine he was probably watching her for days and thought, I'm going to have my way with this girl. And I just think that it's a slippery slope. And when you, when you put yourself in situations like that, like, and this, this is a principle that's true of, of living together before you get married. This is a principle that's true of at work, going to, that, to the coffee pot at that certain time when you know she's going to be there, but yet you're married with your wife, but you and your wife are not connecting emotionally. But when you go to the coffee or the water cooler at that time, that other girl's there and she is doing something for you emotionally that your wife is not. You're putting yourself in a vulnerable place, and you may not cheat on your wife day one, but you keep going to that same place. Wrong places are set up to mess up. And, and I just want to encourage you, like, man, I remember pa- uh, Pastor Wayne Austin. He was doing premarriage counseling with this couple, and this couple, he asked me, he said, are you guys living together? And they said, yeah, we are because this just makes sense for right now. He said, well, I can't marry you as long as you're living together, but if you'll, if you'll move out, and let her take the house, uh, then, then I'll do your, your marriage. And he goes, well, I'm going to have to live in my car. He goes, well, go ahead, my brother. You go live in your car. You sacrifice for her because this is just the beginning of what God's going to call you to sacrifice for her. And I just think that you, you get the point. Um, let me read one more to you. First Corinthians 10 says we are allowed to do anything, freedom in Christ. We're allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for us to do. We are allowed to do anything, but not all things help us grow strong as Christians. Do not work only for your own good. Think of what you can do for others. Everything's permissible because we're free in Christ, but not everything is beneficial. And he says this. He goes, here's, here's the biggest point I can tell you. When you begin to mature in Christ, you stop asking the, fun, the elementary question, is this right or is this wrong? That's such an immature question. Is this sin or is this not? The mature question is, is this the wise thing? Not is this right, is this wrong? Is this wise and does this help me grow closer to Jesus Christ? And if it doesn't, it's not an option. You don't do it. There, enough of that one. But, oh, yeah, go ahead, girl. Go well, ahead. I was going to say, um, just to add, like our personal experience is how, do you, how did you go five to six years? And we set boundaries. Cold and I showers. Think, <laughs> I think <laughs> I moved away for college, helped too. But um, the, there's boundaries that you can put in place. And there's tons of, there's a great book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud and Boundaries with Dating um, that you can read. But I think a lot of us do even actually have boundaries for our life, but we have boundaries without consequences. And I think you, when you set your boundaries, there has to be consequences because if there aren't, you will break the boundaries or you'll move your boundary a little bit out or it's just this once or it's just this. We truly made a boundary where it was like, if we mess up, we were done. And, and that was it. And so, because our relationship with Christ was more important than our relationship staying together. And that was, that was it. And so, and we put, it wasn't just even between us. I told the people that mentored me, he told the people that mentored us, and we allowed them to ask us questions. So make sure you don't just set a boundary, but set a boundary with consequences or else you'll keep moving your boundary marker. That's great. Write this down. Bound, a boundary without a consequence is merely a suggestion. That's, that's the truth. Uh, here, can I answer this next question? I love this one. Uh, I'm currently dating someone seriously. Um, thinking about being, we're thinking about getting engaged. I'm headed towards marriage. So what are major topics we should discuss and get on the same page before we walk down the aisle? How many know that uh, just because you say I can doesn't mean, just because you say I do doesn't mean that you can? And, and, and so it's a challenge. So this person's saying, so how do we get on the same page how do we basically set the right expectations and get a vision? What are those key areas? Um, th- this is a scripture I, I want to put on the, on the screen. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says this. I, I love this scripture. I, I've read it tons of times here at church, but I love it for this particular question. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You know what hope is? A confident ex- expectation. Hope is you're expecting something to happen. And this question about what should we what should we expect? What is the clarity we need to get around certain topics so that we don't have missed expectations? Because I found that this is what destroys most marriages. You know, it's here's the expectation and here's the experience and there's a huge gap in between. And then we begin to fill that gap with either resentment, uh, anger, bitterness, arguing. We fill the gap. 
And so it's very key that before you get married, you close that gap. Uh, I remember being in London. We were in London, and there's this thing when you're on the tube, I think it's called. It's like their BART. It goes, mind the gap. It t- says mind the gap about a million times. It's so frustrating if you've ever been there. And I didn't know what, it, what, what is it talking about. Well, it was talking about there's a gap. If you look down, there's a gap between the platform and where you step onto the, to the BART, essentially, the subway. There's a gap there, and it's saying you need to be mindful of that gap. If you're not, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill you. And I think a lot of marriages are not minding the gap, and it's murdering their relationship. And so on the front end of getting married, you should mind the gap. And I want to give you something that I think is, is pretty good uh, for you right here. I, I found this somewhere. It's not original, but take it. It's good. If the bullet fits your gun, shoot it, right? Um, so anyway, um, be careful of expectations that are, look at, look at this. Be careful of expectations that are unconscious expectations. That is, you don't even realize it's an expectation, but it is, in fact, an expectation. How do you know? Because you notice something is continually frustrating you about that person. So it's an unconscious expectation. Number two, be careful of or beware of unrealistic expectations. This is you are expecting something of someone that is completely out of place and out of reach. Number three, be careful of unspoken expectations. This is usually the biggest one. You have, uh, I wrote this down, you have never even communicated clearly this expectation to the person. So you have set this person up for failure and you are sabotaging your relationship. Um, it's not their fault. It's you're the blame. So you need to, you need to close the gap with communication. Um, uh, and then the, the, the last one is unagreed upon expectations. Uh, you and the other person must agree that this is an expectation that can be expected. So think about this. Conscious expectations, realistic expectations, spoken expectations, and agreed upon expectations. So here's practically what that looks like. Minding the gap and closing the gap with clear communication. Jennifer and I, we did something... Uh, we did something, well, before we even did this, we had what I call hot conversations. Honest, open, transparent conversations. Hot. It's a hot combo. And it was where we just asked tough questions. What do you expect about this? One of them was even about sex. It's like, uh, I remember Jennifer saying, uh, hopefully there's no kids in here, but I remember Jen- Jennifer saying, she's like, like, what's the expectation of the frequency of, of sex in our marriage, right? We talked through that. I was like, and I told her, I was like, only days that start with a T. Tuesday, Thursday, Tatterday, Tunday, and Tenzday. <laughs> kidding, guys. Come and on. I said realistic expectations. She was like, that is unrealistic, people. But, uh, but we, had, we had very tough conversations before, uh, bef- you know, right there in our pre-marriage kind of days. Um, another thing that we did was we did something that Jimmy Evans, he's like a marriage guru, him and his wife, they have something called a vision retreat. You can Google it, look it up online. Uh, this vision retreat that you can go on as a married couple, and it has a series of questions like, and it's, it's about vision and expectation. Like, Jennifer, what do you expect for us to do as your parents age out, like they age out, they age, they get older, and they're not able to take care of themselves? What is your expectation, expectation for us as a married couple to serve them and to take care of them? Uh, what is your expectation, Jason, on how we're going to discipline our kids? And so all those things was covering everything. We were minding the gap, trying to figure out what are those expectations, finances, kids, uh, savings, all those things. You close those gaps. You don't just do this one time. You should really do this a lot. Like we're do a marriage retreat right now to do a vision and close the gap even more because what the enemy does is he loves to create a gap in our marriage. That's how he destroys marriages. Uh, here's another one uh, for you right here. Now, th- here's some marriage questions. Um, we'll just use some of these in our remaining time. And whatever we don't get to, maybe we'll, we'll cover some of these next in the next couple weeks. But this is for you, Jen. Uh, why is it so hard to communicate with each other when you're in a marriage? Ooh. That's a good one. Well, I'm married a communicator, so I have to communicate. And I'm an avoider. And so uh, harmony, I think, is one of my strengths. And communication is one of his. And so um, I just like, oh, it'll pass. And I also, you also need to know, like, whatever you experience usually as a child or in your family, like, you usually have, those are your, un, those are your expectations you just assume because that's what I grew up with, you know. Um, and our, my family never really dealt with things. We always just, no big deal, and just move on to the next thing. So that's sort of my personality. And he's like, no, we're going to talk about this. And I'm like, oh. I just don't want to talk about this. Um, and so we, I have to make the effort. 
Um, it's easier for him, and it's not as easy for me. So we have to take time and say, you know what? We're going to talk about it. But we don't just talk about it at any time. We're not going to talk about it at midnight at night when we're both tired and exhausted. Um, we're not going to talk about it in the middle of us being angry. Um, we're not going to spit fire at one another and use words like always and never, because that's very easy when you're upset about something. You always do that. You never do this. And um, those are both two strong words, as we tell our kids. Um, those are strong words. And so we try not to use that. We, and we use language like, when you did this, this is how you made me feel. And I, don't believe, and I believe the best in you, and I know this isn't what you meant, but this is how I feel. Because um, that's a reality. When you're married or when you're dating, you have to recognize what the other person is feeling. And um, I think that's part of healthy communication. So make sure that you are not just, you know, you don't have a tally of wrongs and rights that you just want to, you're just holding on to them, just wait till we get in that big fight so I can just use that against him. Um, oh, now that we're in a fight, let me remind you about next week, last week, and last month. And um, no, that's not what it's about. And it's, a, it's about calm, clear communication and discussing with one another and hearing and listening to one another and making sure that time is a good time to talk, that it's not rushed, um, that it's not out of anger and emotion, but it's truly about like, we want to work this out because if we can work this out, we're going to be stronger and our marriage will be healthier so that we can prevent the fight from happening again. Hey, write this down. Communicating is not about talking and listening. Communicating is about understanding. So you, you, you haven't communicated if you're just talking and they're just listening or they just talk and you listen. You haven't really communicated until you've come to an understanding. That's why in Ephesians 5 it says, be understanding of each other. Like, I think one of the best things you can do when you do have confrontation and you're communicating is, I love what you said a moment ago, is identify, number one, here's the frustration, the pressure point. This is what, this is what you've done or you haven't done and it's bothering me. But the second thing is the most important thing, I think, that most people miss. They want to confront someone and say, this is what you did, or this is what you didn't do, but they haven't identified how it made them feel. If you can identify how that thing or that they did or didn't do made you feel, then you can articulate that because usually they didn't mean whatever it's ca- the pain is causing, they didn't mean it. And so you say, you know, you, 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 you said you were going to be home at 5 and you got home at 6. But here's how that made me feel, Jason. And then this is the question. Help me understand. This is so huge. Help me understand, like, why did this happen? And and help me understand from your perspective. And you have that conversation. And then this is the big part is moving forward. Like, how can we avoid this moving forward? And I think when you can do that, like, the communication becomes a lot healthier. But here's what you got to know. I love the phrase uh, opposites attract. But the reality is opposites attract at first. Eventually opposites attack. Because we're just, like, we're just different people. We're not bad people. We're just different people. I'm a communicator. She's not. Like, and so I want to sit down. Let's talk about this. She's like, I don't want to talk right now, right? And so we have to learn how to have that communication. And I want to give you a couple, write these down, a couple resources that you need to maybe check out. The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It's a really good book. It's kind of old school, but it's a really good book. It talks about the way that you communicate love, the way you receive love. It's a classic. Read it when you get a chance. You'll better understand your partner or your, you know, your, uh, your spouse, whatever. Um, the other, other good, good book that I've just recently, I haven't read the whole book. I just read my portion because I'm self-centered. Uh, but is that book about Enneagram, uh, The Road Back to You. It's really good. I'm a three. Go, go figure. Um, but read that and you can figure out why you are the way you are, the healthy version of you, the unhealthy version of you. But also figure out your spouse, what they are. We're still trying to figure Jennifer out right now. Um, but, um, uh, you know, another one you could do is, is this book called, uh, what's the Strengths Finder book? Give me that book right here. This is, this is a really good one. There's a Strengths Finder book for, um, for, for you personally when it comes to leadership. But they just came out with this. Some of our friends actually wrote this, um, Strengths-Based Marriage. And, uh, and so I want to do this really quick. Could I give away three of these books with some chocolates as well? Who in here has been married more than 20 years? Anybody in here you've been married more than 20 years? Oh, my gosh. Who else? Who in here has been married? What's that? You have two couples. That's perfect. Why don't we give these two away to these guys right here? Um, and, then, and then I want to ask one more question. Who in, who in here has just been, gotten married in the last six months? Anybody in here in the last six months? What about the last year you've just gotten married? Oh, look at this right over here. Okay. Wait, wait. Sandy and Ruth. Where's Sandy and Ruth? Keep your hands up over here. Okay, Alex and Melinda. And then I tell you what we'll do. 
give, no, give them a book and then give Sandy and Ruben a book as well. Um, but here's what I want to do. We have, I, th- I think, like 30-something books. If you're a married couple and you're here, uh, we want to give you this book for free. And the way that you can do it is stop by in the foyer. There's a, for our small group, there's a sign-up. If you sign up for our small group, uh, we'll give you a free book, and, and uh, we believe it will be a blessing in your life. And if you can't be a part of a small group, we'll just steal a book anyway. And uh, we want to bless you. Um, here, let me hurry. I only have a few more minutes, and, and, and we'll get to a, a couple of these. Um, I want to do this before I go to these other questions. If you're a married couple or engaged or in a, just you're in a serious relationship, I want you to take out your phone really quick. I want you to take out your phone your smartphone or dumb phone, whatever you have. Or notebook if you don't have a phone. Anything to write on. In expectation, in expectations, you expect certain things because you have certain needs, right? And what the enemy does is whenever you, when you have those needs and they're not being met, the enemy will begin to lie to you about why they're not being met, and then you'll go somewhere else to get those needs met. And, and here's what the enemy does. The enemy always tries to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, and that's what causes divorce. That's what causes relationships to break up. And so take out your phone, and I want you to think right now, what are three things that you need or maybe you need more of from your spouse or from your, your person you're dating? Write them down right now, three things. What are three things that you need from them, either that you're not getting or you need more of? What are three things? Jennifer and I actually did this yesterday. And it was great. It was unbelievable. What are three things that you need that you're not getting from him or from her? Um, write it down really quick. This is great. If you're here today and you are like, I don't, I'm not sitting by anyone, just write down three things that you need from a person once you meet that person. And we'll see if God shows up. Hey. <laughs> now, here's what I want you to do with those three things. I want you to take those three things and today or tomorrow, I want you to share those three things with the other person. And I want you to talk through why you need those things and why you feel like you're not getting those things. Let that be a point of healthy communication. And uh, it, it may hurt at first. It may sting a little bit at first. Um, but it will help uh, with closing the gap of expectations. So you're welcome. Um, <clears throat> Jennifer, here's, here's a good one for you, and, and we'll wrap up. Um, and we'll tackle the other ones maybe next week. How do you reconcile feminism being a strong, independent woman with what the Bible says uh, to do? essentially submit to your husband. How do you, how do you reconcile that? I think this is great. Let me, can I say this too really quick? Um, we're a church. We're an egalitarian church. We believe that, that men and women are equal. And we're a church that believes in women and leadership and ministry, that everything, everything that I can do and that Josh can do, whatever. Any, like we're, it's, this is not a man show here at our church. So you'll see women teach. You'll see women uh, preach. You'll see women lead because we believe that our women are we're only men. We're only as strong as our women here, right? Okay. God needs both expressions within our church. So we believe in women. We believe in the call of God on every one of you ladies' lives, and so we celebrate you. But go ahead and answer this. I was going to say that that we're all created in the image of Christ. It says we all are, not just one sex or the other, but we all are. Um, I was raised by a very feminist, independent woman. She still is today. Like, don't open the door. I can open the door for myself kind of mom. And um, so I just naturally grew up independent. Um, And so we got married and I just did things on my own. And and he would get so frustrated. And he's like, why'd you take the trash? I mean, simple things. Like, why'd you take the trash out? I'm like, because it's full, you know? And, uh, you know, like, I, and I would just tell him, like, you don't have to come to the door. I can open the door for myself. Or he'd get, he still gets frustrated. Like, I'm unloading the groceries. He's like, why didn't you ask for help? I'm like, because I got it, you know. It's got, like, seven bags on one arm and ten on the other. Um, and uh, I, will, I will say this. So, um, so I would think that I'm just independent and I'm getting better at asking for help because he wants to help me. And I think I rob him from that sometimes as we try to be independent, fierce women. But I think that there's, um, we have this wrong vision of submission. We see submission as control, like almost even as a slave. Um, he doesn't own me. Um, and submission is not about control. It's a trust issue. And so I can submit to him. Um, as an independent, strong woman, because I trust him. 
Um, and we, I have been able to trust him, and he has proven himself trustworthy. Um, and when there's moments where maybe that trust is broken, that's where communication comes in, and we talk about it. Um, he respects me. He is for me. He's always celebrated my dreams. And I think as, as husbands in here are one day will be husbands, celebrate your wife. Um, don't box her in and because she is, she's going to be strong and she has things she wants to do and dreams and visions for herself. And we've always supported each other in one of that, in that way. Um, I haven't always worked in ministry and he always has supported that. And um, he supported every season that I've been in and he's never pressured me to be one thing or the other. And um, that's why I can trust him and submit to him in trust and not submit to him in a controlling way. And so I think we need a better uh, definition and vision and perspective of what submission in the scripture looks like. Um, and to be honest, if you when you read back in that scripture in Ephesians, he has a bigger weight than I have. Like he has to treat me like Christ treats the church. And when he's doing that, it's easy to submit. So when you have a husband that is truly treating you and respecting you like Christ treats the church and loves them in every season, then it's the submission part comes easy. Girl, what you doing after this? Hey, there, there's, there's a lot of questions. We just we can't get to them today, but I, I really do want to unpack these, these questions. Um, and so... Uh, so Hang on, and next week we'll, we'll hit some more of these questions. But can I give just one as we close? Um, what if I said no? I, I, I don't know what I would do. I would submit. Um, yeah, let's do this one because, and I want you to answer this, and, and I'll maybe share this one scripture, because I think this may be some people that are in here, and it may be a perspective issue. Uh, what do you do when you don't feel in love with your spouse anymore? Uh, how do you rediscover being in love like when you first fell in love? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, love is a choice. It's not an emotion. And we have to choose to love every day. And the scripture, even the scripture that we had for our wedding was we love each other because Christ first loved us. And when we grasp that definition of love, that God loved us and sent his only son, even when we didn't deserve it, Choosing to love is easy because um, that's what we're supposed to do, to love each other just as Christ loves us. And when I think you have to get over the emotion and the feeling, well, I don't feel love today. No, love is a choice. It's a determination. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. And so when you're noncommittal or when you're flowing in and out of your emotions, you still have to say, no, I choose love. Even when Christ, because Christ chose to love me when I didn't deserve it. And when maybe I didn't feel, he didn't maybe feel like it, you know. I, don't, I believe Jesus had emotions. Um, he still chose to love and chose to um, bear our burdens and walk with us. Um, and I think in marriage, that's what you have to do. You have to sacrifice sometimes your feelings and your emotions and say, you know what? I choose. I choose to stay committed. I choose to love today. I choose him. And um, and not allow this love word just to be a flippant word that comes out of, of, of our mouths. It's not like I love a cheeseburger. You know, it's deeper than that. And it's so funny because I think we just like love. I love this. I hate this. I love this. I hate this. And it just becomes this word we just use. But we have to dig deep and really grasp what love is. And the person who defined love and is love is Jesus. And when we grasp a hold of that, loving and choosing to love is something that can come easy. Yeah, and that, and that, but that's good. Come on, clap your hands for that. That was great. In, in that book, The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman says this about marriages. He says, um, he says love is an, is an emotion the first two years and after, of a relationship, so not just a marriage. You're in, in love the first two years. After that, love becomes a choice, and it's a decision you have to make daily to love that person. And, uh, but the part of the question, the back, back kind of end of this question was, how do you, you feel like you've kind of lost your first love? How do you return to it? This is the one scripture I thought of, and I'll pray for you guys. Revelations chapter 2, this is about Christ and his church. 
So this is a, a word from God to a, to a particular church. And he says this. Remember, marriage is a mirror of and a reflection of Christ's love for the church. But he says this. He says, God says, I have this against you to this particular church. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. That is like, you got to change your mindset. He says, repent. And he says, and do the works you did at first. It's so practical, right? Saying, you've, you fell out of love with me, God says. You've lost your first love. Let's do the things we did at first. Let's romance one another. Let's make every effort. Let's fall in love again. Go back to what you did at first. And um, I don't Can know. Can I add something? Yeah, go ahead. And I think um, just practically, then when you have kids, and then it's a whole new ballgame, and you're like, your kids become so much more of your life. Um, but we, and we tell our kids all this time, we, we always say we love them more than we love them. No, we put them, our marriage before we put. Yeah, I say to the kids, I'm like, hey, you, you need to understand. I love her way more than I love you, okay? And, you better recognize. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to put your marriage as a priority um, over your kids' schedules, over your kids. And I think once you have children, it that returning to that first even becomes harder. So schedule out date nights. Use your calendar. Uh, share your calendar with one another. Um, we share calendars. We have a family calendar, so we always know what's going on. So you need to make a point of that, and your children will see a healthy marriage in that. They're not going to be like, oh, they don't love me. Um, they're just like, they, they see, I want that when I get married. You know, I want a relationship that comes first. Yeah, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is a healthy marriage. So we have a lot of great questions. We'll tackle those next week, but I want to pray for you. Lord, we love you so much. And um, God, I just thank you that we can have practical conversations like this. Um, as a church, we've always committed, like, we don't want to be a church filled with just hype. Uh, God, we want to be a church that helps people. Uh, we want to be a church that works out what you're working in us. And God, I know that there are people in here today that, um, God, there's some that are married, some that are divorced, some that are walking through painful things right now, some that have, that have their, maybe their parents were divorced, so they felt that pain, and some that are just trying to figure out life as a single person, um, some dealing with loneliness. There's so many different things. And so, God, I pray that for the next couple of weeks, as we talk about some of these things, what does it mean to be single? What does it mean to, to, to be married? What does it mean to be in a godly dating relationship. What does this mean? What are your goals for us? I pray that you would speak to every single one of us. And God, the truth is when you talk about relationships, relationships, um, many times for many people, it can be a painful discussion. But I pray that as, we're, as we gather the next few weeks and we talk about your goal for our relationships, not just our goal, but your goals for our relationships, that Lord, you would bring healing where there needs to be healing. You'd bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. You'd bring vision where we need to have vision and clarity. God, will you do a work in and through our lives over the next few weeks? Lord, we love you so much. And I pray your blessing over every person here today. And God, I thank you that even as we talked about Ephesians 5, how, how marriage is really like our, our greatest picture is, is Jesus. Is how Jesus sacrificed his life for, for his church. That's for us. He gave up his life. He died so that we could live. That's the gospel. And God, I believe that the reason why you love marriage is the same reason why the devil hates marriage is because marriage is a picture of the gospel. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts if there's those of us in here that we don't know that sacrificial love of Jesus if we've never given our lives to you. God, will you speak to people this morning to commit their lives to you? God, we place you at the center of our lives today. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, once you clap your hands for God's word. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.